What if you knew that you would be betrayed? What if you knew that you would suffer? And what if you knew that you would die? What if you knew you would die? And what if you knew that that would change everything? This series, as I said, is going to take us through Easter. And uh, today we are looking at this question, what if you knew you would be betrayed? So the song that the band just performed as I uh, came up here, uh, I love that song. It's all about the faithfulness of God, the loyalty of God. What I love about that song is the reminder to me about the reality. It really celebrates the truth that God is loyal no matter what. No matter what road I choose to go down, no matter the, the choices I make, the decisions I make, God is faithful and he is always full of grace for me to come home to him. I know of a young pastor who went through a really messy ordeal. It was his first job in ministry, and after a couple of years, began, began to feel like God was going to move his, he and his wife along to other ministry elsewhere. And uh, so after he had kind of confirmed that, you know, between him and the Lord, that that was indeed his direction, he went to his boss, his senior pastor, and he sat down and told him how God was leading in his life. And the senior pastor's reaction to that was just to embrace the young man, to put his arm around him and, you know, big smile, big hug, and say, you have meant so much to us here. You've done a really great job here. Uh, we're really going to miss you. You're going to leave a big hole here. And I'm so proud of you, and I know you're going to do great wherever you go. And then he said, make sure that you use me as a reference because I want to be able to you know, recommend you highly as you move on to your next position somewhere in ministry. So younger man was flattered, of course. You know, those are the things you want to hear from your boss, right? And from your pastor. So young man uh, was flattered and did just that. So fast forward a few months, the young man is uh, with his family finishing up an interview weekend, a long weekend of meetings and being introduced to congregation and everything like that, and everything had gone really well, and this is definitely the place that that young man and his wife were hoping to end up. So after all that was done, they're meeting, they're kind of just sitting down with the senior pastor of that church just to say, you know, how did it go? Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts? And in that moment, to the younger man's utter shock, the pastor said, you know, I called through your references and they were good except the reference from your previous employer. That senior pastor that you had at the top of the list of references did not speak well of you. He, in fact, gave you a very, very poor reference. It was not good. And the young man just kind of sitting there in that stunned moment like, no, this can't be. There has to be some mix-up here or a really cruel joke by this guy sitting across the desk from me. But it was real, right? And so he, the young man began to experience these physical effects that sometime accompany the emotional things that come along with a betrayal. His appetite vanished. 
He began to uh, get that churning in his gut, you know, his gut sounded like a, a coffee percolator. His palms began to moisten. His mouth began to get really dry. And he kept thinking, how could he? This can't, no, not him. How could he? And he kept coming back to this. That guy told me he was proud that he would be honored to do this, to make sure I do this. And the thing that really hit the young man hard in that moment was that even in that moment with the hug, you know, and the, all the positivity and the smile and the words and the warm embrace and the flattering words, that even in that moment, that pastor may have been planning to trash him. Even in that moment, that pastor may have been planning his betrayal. Betrayal is absolutely brutal. It's brutal. Anyone in this room this morning who's ever been on any side of it, whether you've done the betraying or whether you've been betrayed, you know that betrayal is so hurtful. And some things we can just confess and we can move on like, hey man, I just want to tell you, I, yeah, I, I said that thing. I said that in anger and man, I just feel like I crossed the line there and I just need to come to you. It's, I've kind of been convicted about it. Can, will you forgive me for that? Yeah, sure. I, I forgive you, man. Thanks for saying that. And then you just move on, right? That's, things get worked out like that a lot. But betrayal is different. Betrayal is in another class of emotional pain because it hits us in so many ways and from so many different angles. Often it comes as a surprise, out of nowhere, out of left field, like it did for that young man I was telling you about. It comes like a sucker punch right to the soul. And anyone who has been betrayed, especially by someone close to them, you know the pain and the sting that comes with the betrayal, the emotional devastation it brings. Why is betrayal so devastating? Why is it so devastating? I wrote down three things. A lot more could be said about this, but first, it causes emotional distress. The range of emotions experienced by the person who has just received the wound is insane. All right? All at once, you feel anger towards the person who betrayed you, and you also feel, feel fear that you might lose that relationship, especially if the betrayal came from somebody who's really close to you, parent, child, coach, a pastor, someone that you're supposed to be able to trust. And that makes you want to cling to that person while at the same time feeling repulsed by them and what they've done. There's this whole range of emotional stuff going on there. So it causes emotional distress. Also, it breaks trust. This is huge. It breaks trust. Someone once said, breaking someone's trust is like crumpling up a perfect piece of paper. You can smooth it over but it's never going to be exactly the same ever again. It breaks trust. Also, it can make us closed off. 
it can close us off. It can cause us to shut down and change the way we see the world, the lens through which we process everything. Betrayal is an incredibly hurtful, emotional, painful wound. And in the moment that that wound is received, oftentimes the person who has been betrayed will make an internal decision right there on the spot that they will never again allow themselves to be betrayed or hurt or fooled or made fun of or embarrassed or lied to or get vulnerable ever again. In counseling, this internal decision is sometimes referred to as an agreement. An agreement is made right in that moment. I have a movie clip I want to show you from a movie called Antoine Fisher. Maybe you've seen it. Good movie. Uh, Antoine is an angry, troubled young man in the Navy. This clip beautifully illustrates this point, how that agreement can, that false narrative can creep in. So Antoine's temper has been getting him into a lot of trouble. Uh, He spouts off at the mouth, you know, he blows his stack and he says things. And so he's required to go spend some certain number of sessions with a Navy counselor who's played by Denzel Washington in this movie. And the counselor becomes sort of a father figure to Antoine. And Antoine's really growing and he's doing well and he's moving past some of the emotional hurts and he's becoming more of a whole man. And this is really great relationship for him in his life. And in this clip, the counselor informs Antoine that their sessions are coming to an end. Watch this clip. Hello? What's up, Doc? (laughs) How are you? I'm good. Yes, you are, Antoine. You're good. Hearing nothing but good things from your CO. Hear that you're getting along very well with your shipmates. I'm proud of you. Thank you, sir. Have you thought any more about finding your family? I don't know. For what? No, I just think that there's really nothing more important than that, Antoine. What are you trying to say, sir? That I'm proud of you, that I think you've come a long way. Okay. You said that. What's wrong? There's nothing wrong. understand this is very difficult for me our sessions have ended now listen just listen to me i said take the liberty what do you mean they ended it ended son there's time for you to move on you can't stall here but you and me are working out my problems you can't work out all your problems we need to figure out my listen to me hey get out get out Everybody's always people leaving me. Grow, people move on. You've grown. It's time for you to move hey, on. My mother left me. I my father. I understand. Jesse that. and you. Jesse, what do you mean? We should have never gone. That's what. Jesse. Jesse. What happened to Jesse? Stay away from me. Nobody's taking anything else away from you. All right, so powerful clip there illustrating the point about that moment of that the internal decision creeps in, the false narrative. Did you see it there at the end? Antoine saying, my father left me. My mother left me. And now you are 
leaving me. And the counselor's like, talk to me. Antoine's just, stay away from me. Stay away from me. And here it comes. Here's the agreement. Everybody leaves me. And no one will ever leave me again. In a betrayal, the agreement made in the moment of wounding may run something like this. This is the false narrative that creeps in. People can't be trusted. And so the best way for me to never feel the pain that I'm feeling right now, to never feel that again, the best way to ensure that that never happens is to never trust anyone again, ever. And so the person constructs a whole new life that is built around being insulated and protected from the awful pain they felt in the moment of their wounding. And this is not uncommon. And sometimes people live out the remainder of their lives like this. They can live decades, years like this. Superficial friendships, never letting anybody get too close. Shallow relationships, especially with family, because family has the potential to inflict the most pain and the greatest wound. You see, betrayal hurts everyone involved. The one who is betrayed, of course, is hurt, but then there are residual effects. The, the betrayer can never control the way that the, the uh, effects of his betrayal spiderweb out. There is no controlling that. The rest of the organization feels it. Maybe it's a business relationship, a partner, something like that. Or the family is hurt. It can it spiderwebs all throughout the extended family. And others who have at one time trusted the betrayer may feel a little bit of that sting as well. How could I have trusted? How could I have not seen that? Did he somehow betray me too and I don't know it, right? The betrayer himself or herself is hurt badly during it too. There are consequences for the betrayer. Uh, for example, the person's reputation is ruined or at least takes a hit temporarily. The path back to trustworthiness is long and difficult for that person. Also, that person's legacy can be tarnished. Certainly, there is no name in all of history that is more closely associated with and linked to the act of betrayal than Judas from the Bible, from the New Testament in the Gospels. Just the mention of his name brings a negative reaction in us. You know, when Marion and I were, uh, she was pregnant with our first son, Marshall, and we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And so we're just looking through, you know, book of thousands of names and what, what are we going to name this kid? And we had friends who were coming to us and, and saying, we think you should name your kid this, which is like, really? Like, I'm going to, okay, yeah, since you said that, we will, we will name our kid that, right? It's like, what? But, you know, nobody ever came to us and said, you know, I've been looking through some good biblical names, and we're thinking Judas Iscariot would be a great name for your baby. Nobody ever came to us and said, I've got it, Benedict Arnold Parsons. That's comical to us. That makes us laugh. Why? Because those names are synonymous 
with treachery and betrayal like Judas. So who was this guy? Who was Judas? Judas Iscariot is a fascinating biographical study. Who was this guy who walked with Jesus? He saw miracles. He saw them. He heard the Son of God teach in parables. He witnessed the power of God himself and then sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver for 600 bucks in today's currency. There are so many questions I have coming to when we think about Judas and his relationship with Jesus. When did Jesus know that Judas would betray him? And knowing this, why did Jesus pick him? And why did Jesus entrust Judas with taking care of all of the money for the group of disciples? But Jesus loved him. He fed him. He took care of him. They slept near each other when the group was encamped together. Jesus showed such love and acceptance to Judas, the one who would betray him. Why? Why? What if he knew you would be betrayed? What do we know about Judas from Scripture? We're just going to highlight a few things that we know. First of all, uh, Judas Iscariot fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. Did you know that? There are messianic psalms. Psalm 22 is one of those, looking ahead, saying, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Psalm 41.9 says this, Even my close friend... Someone I trusted who shared my bread has turned against me. And even though this was the case, this Judas was you know, part of God's plan to, to eventually get Jesus to the cross where uh, he would do the work that he came to do, uh, Judas was still fully responsible for his actions. Just because there was a prophecy about him, it's not like, well, you're stuck in this and now you have to play this role and you have no choices. You're just going to be a robot or like a little marionette on strings and you can't decide anything for yourself. No, Judas had a free will. Judas made decisions. Ju- Judas made choices, but he was fully responsible for his actions. And in Matthew 26, Jesus says, the son of man, which was the name that Jesus most often used in reference to himself, the son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the one who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. Now, I believe that it is perfectly consistent with scripture to say that Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas was the one who would betray him. And he knew it even when he picked Judas. He's the son of God, and there was never a time that Jesus was lacking that information or he needed to be told or he needed to find out or wondered who is the betrayer. Even early on in the book of John, Jesus had the 12 disciples gathered and Jesus said to them, have I not chosen you, the 12? And he said, yet one of you is a devil, a devil. Jesus knew even then early on. And so even though Judas was with Jesus and followed him around and heard his teaching and saw his miracles, we don't know for sure if Judas was quote unquote saved 
or not, or to use Jesus' words, born again or not. Though in John 13, 10, and 11, Jesus says, and you disciples, again, speaking to this group of disciples, you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. You're not all clean. So we simply don't know for sure. We never know for sure who's saved and who's not. Think of that person you're praying for, maybe that family member, that extended family member, uh, somebody who's passed away, away recently. We just don't know for sure. That's all God's business, and that's always all God's business. I will say for myself, though, if I can insert my own opinion here, it does seem unlikely. Uh, but later on, at the Last Supper, uh, is when the moment when Jesus directly identifies Judas as the betrayer. Okay, no more talking about, but one of you is, can you imagine those moments? Like, one of you is a devil. They're like, looking at each other like, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like, I hope that's not me. But here at the Last Supper, Jesus identifies Judas directly as the betrayer. John 13, 26, Jesus says, the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So Jesus dips the bread into whatever he's dipping bread into. And then, dipping the piece of bread he gave to Judas Iscariot. And the word says, in that moment, Satan immediately entered into Judas. Following that supper, while Jesus was praying intensely in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas arrives. And then in the most infamous act of betrayal in human history, Judas kisses Jesus. He kisses him, betrays the Son of God with a kiss. Now this is significant because Judas had worked this out ahead of time. He said, when I go in there, he had had some soldiers behind him, and he said, now, you don't know who to arrest because these soldiers didn't know who Jesus was. So he says, here's how you're going to know. The one that I walk up to and kiss, that's how you're going to know. Arrest that man. Arrest that man. And so as a result of this betrayal, Jesus is arrested, beaten, whipped, has long, sharp thorns pressed hard into his head. He is made to carry his own cross like a criminal through the streets of the city and then up the long hill, Golgotha, to the Calvary and he is made to carry his cross there and then nailed to that cross and then hangs on that cross and then dies on that cross. And it was Judas's betrayal that initiated it. It was Judas's betrayal that got that ball rolling that final week, right around this time that we're heading into this Easter season. And the betrayal of Judas hurt Jesus, of course, but it also opened up a gaping wound in Judas, too. He was not able to live with the guilt of what he had done, as we shall see. So 
how do we handle this? How do we handle betrayal? How do we deal with the deep pain inflicted by another person? Or if I'm the betrayer, how do I deal with the fact that I have inflicted that pain on someone else? The guilt and the shame. What is the way forward through this pain? And I've written a few things down here. Um, These things are equally true for both sides of things, the betrayed and the betrayer. These things are necessary to work through. First of all, I have to humble myself. It all starts here because in that moment the wound is delivered and in that moment the wound is received. That pride in us wants to raise up and shout and rage and get even, right? wants justice, it wants to inflict the same kind of pain that I am now feeling so that you know what it's like, so that you know what you've done to me, that pride must be put to death in each of us. And it doesn't happen like that. That's a, it's a process, as all of this is. I must own the act of betrayal if I'm the one who committed it And if I'm the one who has been betrayed, I must come to the place where I embrace the hard truth, the harsh reality that sin, that that pride, sin, the same sin that was at work in that person who betrayed me, the same sin that was in Judas is present in me too same sin. I have the same capacity that Judas had to inflict the same pain and suffering that I now feel. And that's a hard truth. And we have to humble ourselves in order to get there. And that humbling ourselves leads right into this next important point, forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is absolutely critical. We have to forgive. Hear me. There is no moving forward for you unless you forgive. You will remain stuck at this point if you refuse to forgive. The betrayer must forgive himself or herself. The one who has been betrayed, by the way, that's really hard for the betrayer too. We want to look at the betrayer and say, oh, well, that person's the bad guy. You know, they should feel it, right? But that's really hard too for that person to come to the place of forgiveness. But the one who has been betrayed must be able to, to get to the place where they can forgive. And that's incredibly difficult. And that's why we need humility to get there. And I want you to know I'm not trying to minimize how hard this step is and I am not trying to minimize the pain that is being felt by the one who has been betrayed. I'm not trying to stand up here and say, oh yeah, betrayal, it's terrible, it's awful, it's distressing and it just blows up our entire world. Here are three quick, easy steps to move past it so you'll be fine by the end of the day. I'm not trying to to say that. That's not how it works. This is a really hard 
thing. It's extremely difficult. Coming to the place where I am ready to forgive takes time. It is a process. It is a process. It is a process. It is not like flicking a switch. It is a process, and it takes time, just like healing takes time. So here's how it works. When we forgive, we are releasing that person who offended us from their offense. We are, in effect, justifying them. We are, in effect, saying that I am no longer going to consider you guilty or treat you like you have done this. I forgive. I choose to let it go. I choose to release you from this offense. But we have to understand that this does uh, not mean that we pretend like the thing never happened. Don't ever do that. It did happen. It did happen. So we don't pretend like it never happened, nor does it mean that because I forgive, we are obligated to, no matter how we feel, no matter how we're hurt, to go back and have everything be just how it was before the offense was levied. Doesn't mean that either. Listen, I could give my money to a financial investor, right? And that person just steals my money, just leaves town and goes, And he could come back to me years later and say, you know what, God's done a deep work in my heart and I've stolen from a lot of people and I'm out there trying to make it right. You're someone, I I stole your money and, you know, here it is. Here's your money. I want to make it right. Here's, Here's your money back. Will you please forgive me? I could forgive that man, but I'm probably not going to write him another check. You see? So we humble ourselves. We forgive and we begin the long process of rebuilding trust oh listen integrity and trustworthiness can be lost in a second in a moment and it can take years years to earn that back and sometimes that trust is never fully restored And this is really hard for both sides in a betrayal. The betrayer must accept that the process of earning back trust is a long, hard road because the betrayer gets things right with God, right? They've wronged someone, they receive God's forgiveness, and then they get the forgiveness of the person who they've offended, you know? And then it's just like, all right, I'm ready to move on. Let's move on. And then when the offended person needs time and space to, to uh, you know, begin to rebuild that trust, that's really hard on the person who did the betraying because they just want to get on with it. And it's like, come on, can't we, can't we start moving on now? Can't We need to get on with the rest of our lives. Like it said in the video clip, we can't stall here. Uh, you know, let's, let's put the past behind us and move on. But that's not easy at all for the person who has been betrayed. It's very different for them. They must go through the long process of being able to trust again, being able to give that trust. It takes time. You know, I think the temptation is to be really hard on Judas, right? Like, how could you do this to Jesus? I would never do what you did 
to the Son of God. I would, if I was in your shoes, it would have gone very differently. I would never have done what you did, but come on. Really? Really? I'm going to give you another hard truth here. The reality is that we, as sinners, are all in the boat with Judas. As sinners, we have all taken the silver. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, every person, everyone has sinned, and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And I have met people who have told me that they've never sinned, that they're, you know, good people. They don't, they don't view themselves as sinners. And, you know, John says later in a letter he wrote, he says the, the person who says that they have no sin is only fooling themselves and not living according to the truth, not walking in the truth. And the truth is this, that every time I sin, I betray Jesus too. That's the hard reality. And I must go to God and confess what I have done. Now, confess, don't think like confessional, and you got to walk in and do this, this big elaborate thing. It's not that. Don't be afraid of this word, confess. All it means in the original language is to agree. When you confess your sin to God, you are simply coming to God and saying, God, I agree with you that this thing that I have done is sin. I agree. And then we receive his restoration and his cleansing. Even Paul knew this. Even Paul, who said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Man, what a thing to be able to say. You're living in such a way you're able to, to say like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he saw himself still as a big time sinner. First Timothy 1.15, Paul writes to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He says, this is a trustworthy statement, trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here he is. And I am the worst of them all. That's Paul's humility. We must understand that God is not indifferent towards sin. Our sin hurts him. Our sin grieves him. And when we sin, we are in effect trying, we are pursuing life outside of the boundaries of the of the. the the real and abundant, fruitful life that God is offering to all of us. Indeed, the life that God has purchased for us at high cost on the cross with the life of his son. It breaks God's heart, our sin does. And I think that the tragedy of Judas's betrayal is that while he evidently did come to his senses concerning what he had done, he, you know, after he had done it, he came back to the religious leaders and tried to give the money back, and they wouldn't take it. You know, how righteous of them, right? They're willing to pay. They, they wouldn't take it because they said, no, this is blood money. We can't take it. We can pay you the money to betray Jesus, but no, we're not going to take it back. How, how righteous of them. You know, but he knew what he had done. 
And he says, here, take this money back. I don't even want it. He said, I have betrayed an innocent man. Judas knew exactly what he had done. I think the tragedy there, though, is that Judas completely missed the grace that was available to him and was always available to him that whole time in Jesus. He missed it. Think of it. He had heard Jesus teach. He had heard the stories that he said to those multitudes of people. He was there when Jesus said those things to his disciples. He heard the story of the prodigal son, surely, and running away, fully realizing what he had done, Judas forgot. Never, and if he didn't, if it wasn't an actual forgetting, he never understood fully how he could have run home to the father. Do you ever think about this? What if Jesus or what what if uh, Judas had waited just a couple more days? What if he had been able to have an encounter with the risen Christ? That could have been a game changer for Judas, but he didn't. His guilt was overwhelming and he couldn't live with himself, couldn't live with what he had done. So he took that 30 pieces of silver that the religious leaders wouldn't take back and he took it and he went and he bought a field and then he killed himself in a really gruesome way in that field and the, it was so bad that the locals after that referred to it as the field of blood, the field of blood for 600 bucks. He couldn't forgive himself or see any way out of his guilt. And for us, what about us? We must always be aware that no matter what we have done, that God's unbounded grace is always available to us. It is always available to us. Perhaps you are somebody who has inflicted a deep wound on somebody else. Or maybe you're someone who has been the recipient of one of those deep wounds, maybe a betrayal. Perhaps you are thinking right now that what you did is so bad. It's so bad. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't know my whole story. You can't see into my past. You don't know what I've done. If you knew this about me, you would know that I've crossed the line and I'm in on God's grace and everything and yeah, you know, uh, uh, amazing grace, I believe that, but it's not this amazing. Not amazing enough to be able to cover what I've done. And there are a lot of people, even Christians, there are a lot of people who live in that place, that you've done something so bad that you believe that you have out God's ability to forgive and restore you. And I want you to know this morning, you haven't. You haven't. Grace is still available to you right now in this moment, and it is available to you in an inexhaustible supply. The reservoir of God's grace is infinite, and you can drink from it this morning. You know, I began this morning with the story of a young pastor. And the reason that I'm able to go into such great detail about that story 
is because I lived it. I am that young pastor, maybe not so young anymore. But that was my experience that I went through. That story is part of my journey. And I want you to know that it took a while. But after humbling myself, I was able to forgive that man. I was able to forgive him. In fact, even now, I'm able to look back on all kinds of different experiences with that man, and I'm able to remember those and even smile about them because there were many good ones. There were many good ones. And I'm standing here now saying to you that I do not hold that man's offense against him. He is forgiven. You can come to the place where you can do that too. Where God so thoroughly transforms you. And please understand, I'm not trying to say like, wow, Jeff's great. Look what he did. We need to be more like Jeff. No. It was hard. I went against everything that I felt humanly. Okay? I felt all that stuff. The rage, the, the wanting to get even. I felt all of that. It, this was just humbling myself and God carving in me that deeper channel that he filled with himself and was able to lead me to that place of being able to forgive. That was all God's work. Please hear me. Um, but God can transform you so that you can come to the place where you can think of that moment, that person, and you will not feel all of those physical effects of pain that you felt in the moment the wound was delivered. This is possible. There is hope. God can begin the healing process in you this very moment, this very service. You know, it wasn't just Judas who screwed up that night. It was a hard night for the disciples. Can you imagine? They're there, they're, they're praying. Actually, they were supposed to be praying. Jesus asked them to pray. They fell asleep. And then, uh, you know, it's like we, we look at them sometimes and we're like, oh yeah, I would never fall asleep if Jesus asked me to pray. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, I've, I've been that man too, okay? But Jesus says those haunting words to them. Could you not watch for one hour? Could you not pray with me just for an hour in my greatest time of need? And, and then he's kissed, he is arrested, he's taken away. And then what? Disciples just kind of standing there, looking at each other. What's next? Right? What, what now? What do we do now? And the, the Bible says that they fled. They each kind of went their own way in that moment. Judas had a bad night, obviously. Peter also had a bad night. He definitely hauled out of there because he had attacked one of the soldiers. Okay, so he made himself scarce went off to do his thing, but Peter didn't have a good night either. A few hours later, Peter is denying multiple times that he even knew who Jesus was. After all that they had been through, this is Peter who said, thou art the Christ. This is Peter who said, we'll never let them kill you. This is Peter who said, I would die for you. And in response to that, Jesus said, really, Peter, you would die for me? Because you won't even make it till the next morning without denying that you even know me. Whew. 
So Peter had a bad night too. I know that denial and betrayal are different things, but Judas and Peter both hurt Jesus that night. We don't know all the details surrounding the end of Judas's story. They did go kill himself, as I said. Judas was wrecked by guilt for what he had done. And Peter was wrecked by guilt for what he had done too. Judas chose to avoid God's grace that was available to him, and he went and killed himself. Peter came back. Peter availed himself of that grace that was available to him, drank, as it were, from that infinite reservoir of grace, and he was restored, and he changed the world. That is available to us. I want you to know this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, we are here this morning, we're breathing, our hearts are beating, we're taking in this message. I want you to know this morning and find great encouragement in this reality that our stories are still being written. It's not over. You are not defined by one thing that you have done in your life. And I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you need to come back to God this morning and find his, your restoration the way that Peter did. At the end of the movie, Antoine Fisher has a beautiful ending. Go check it out. Antoine works his way through all that junk and finds wholeness and healing, and we can too. In closing here, let's do something a little old school, all right? A little, you know, teen Bible campish. You say, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you don't want to, that's cool. I get it. We only do that just to kind of create a, an undistracted space there. But I want to ask you, I'm going to give you an opportunity here if you need to take it to begin moving back towards God in your life. Has God brought someone to mind this morning? Someone that you need to forgive or convicted you about one of your own offenses and you need to go seek someone out and get their forgiveness? Are there any agreements that you have made that need to be canceled? Has God brought any of that to your mind this morning? Listen, Peter denied even knowing Jesus, but he found his way back to grace. Do you need to find your way back this morning? Don't miss this opportunity to begin your journey back to God. Whatever Jesus is whispering to you right now, you talk to him about it.
God, I pray that whatever you have brought to our attention in this morning, in this quiet moment, throughout this message, this is a, this is a tough one. We've had a lot of laughing and so we've talked about marriage these last few weeks and then I know today's kind of a heavier one. This issue of betrayal is so hard. It's so hard, Lord, but we know that you know you experienced it. You went through it. God, what you have begun in us right now, I pray that you would cement it. Lead us to yourself, Lord, where there is real life. I thank you that you are the end in my heart's search for life. I pray that anyone where a name came up or something that needs to be done, some action step needs to be taken, I need to go to that person, I need to go make this right, I need to cancel this agreement, I just need to get this out of my life and begin moving back towards God. I pray that wherever that has begun this morning in our hearts as a result of your work, that you would continue it on to completion in us, Father. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who purchased this freedom for us at high cost on the cross. Pray it in his name. Amen.